Hey, yo, and here we go. Another episode of We Talk Music is on the air and in your ear. Once again, I am Martin, and I have with me the uh, king of the casters, Mr. Brett Podcast. And Brett, I know we're incredibly excited to talk to today's guest. Oh, that's right. I mean, we, we've had some great luck in our in our years of doing this, but uh, but today we are we have a legendary singer joining us. He he fronted the babies, fronted Bad English. He has an amazing solo career. He has a new album out right now called Anything. He is John Waite. John, how are you? Uh, I'm pretty good, thank you. Nice to see you both. You know, well, we are Canada. Yeah. We are happy to have you on the show. I mean, we've been listening to you for so many years, and it's so wonderful to, so uh, <laughs> to finally, you know, do this. Yes, yeah, so yes, you've been listening. I have no to choice. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> so you have the EP out called Anything, and and it's it's a wonderful mix of of just you know of a, like a variety of songs, and I especially like what you've done with like the lyrics, and and I think you're trying to. You know, it's the turns of phrase in in a lot of the the songs that that I think are interesting. Well, I take it pretty seriously, and um, even the songs that may seem to be uh, direct, I always pride myself in slipping something in through the the message that's uh, that you can really sink your teeth into. But uh, I think the idea when you're writing anything is to keep it simple, and uh but respect the audience. I mean, the audience has tremendous uh, intelligence and, and you, you don't want to patronize the audience by just writing pop songs, you know? I mean, I really do take it seriously. And if there's anything that you could say about my career, I think maybe that's the lyrical thing. I've, I've always chased that um, to the best of my ability, really. So then when you're writing, especially like, like, do you have more songs and, and these are the ones that kind of won it, won out? No, I mean, I mean, I've got, I've got to dig this. I've got a, a cassette player back in the bedroom <laughs> that I've managed to get by using another cassette player, track them all onto one cassette. And I have maybe 25 songs on there. And that's the next album. It's all like, waking up in the middle of the night and reaching for the cassette player and singing a melody or reciting some words or after a glass of wine, trying to get some chord changes down. And uh, bit by bit, you sort of assemble a record. I never throw anything out. I'm not that good. <laughs> you know, I, I'm really not. If I've got something that's moved me, I, ch- I go after it. And, uh, and uh, that, there's an album ready to go really in the studio um, at long last. I just wanted to get something out. Uh, I put out a triple CD acoustic album last year called Wooden Heart. And uh, it moved me, you know, but by doing that, I felt like I was, I'd done the the unplugged thing uh, royally, you know, I'd done it. And uh, I wanted to put something out that was electric, and they were the songs that I had in front of me. It was that simple. There is no great message. There's, the song is the message. The release is just, you know, that's just what happened. I always think to myself that uh, when a songwriter changes from being a songwriter to being a storyteller, that's when they've evolved to the next level. And I think we've seen that with your career over the years. It's just that change to being a, a pure storyteller. 
well, that's great. I, uh, thank you. But I think it was always there and it raised its head like the B-side of the first baby single was called Head Above the Waves. And it was about my best friend at school. We left school. I went to art college and he went and got a job. And we were really brothers up to that point, you know, and I wrote a song about it, but it didn't make the first album. It just was a, a B-side. But I always loved that kind of storytelling. And where I could, I always put it in. It caused the babies consternation, really, because they all want it to be, you know, sort of rocking, you know, whatever. But I want it to be rocking, but with an edge and some sort of story in it. And if you look at the songs, there's definitely, they're written in a very visual way, like screenplays almost, without making too much of it. But, you know, even Midnight Rendezvous with the babies, it's like, you know, you're in a car with a girl, you're driving too fast, you kind of turned on and you're looking for a good time. It's not, you could always say, baby, let's rock tonight. But you could also say, we need to see some dreams come true, which could be erotic, you know? And uh, there's a way of doing it. And as I've got further into my life and become a solo writer, um, that's what interests me. I, I don't have to say to the band, Look, this is a story, you know, uh, and they go like, oh, fuck. You know, it's it's uh, I, I wouldn't be in a band again. I think you get to a certain level with your with your own talent or as much talent as you've got. And you want to you want to deliver. You know, you don't have time to compromise. Nobody has time to compromise. No, that's for sure. So, you know, one of the things that I find interesting about anything is the the inclusion of one of my all-time favorite songs, Masters of War. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, a couple of months ago, it was the anniversary of 9-11. And I was on the road with Pat Benatar and Neil Giraldo. And I had my band up there. And we came out for the encore. And Neil joined us. And we did Masters of War. And um, it was very dark, very big. And the audience just looked at us. They didn't know what I was doing. But uh, I, I brought that back home, a rough uh, recording from a telephone, and um, went in the studio and got a drummer, Roger Carter, to play on it. I played bass, played guitar. Shane Fontaine came in and played the solo. And it was a one-take vocal. I went to the studio at 9 in the morning. It's all the time I could get that day. And I just put down um, like a guide vocal, but nothing's a guide with me. I usually try and take the first take and keep it. But I'd gone back in to sing it, and uh, it was already finished. Whatever I'd done, the, the, I'd, I went at it the first time, like really angry and like really vicious from the first opening lines. And it made no sense at all. And so I, I just pulled back to that same sort of observational uh, performance that Dylan has with his songs. He, apart from the Rolling Thunder tour, Dylan sings like a folk singer or a blues singer. And um, it was there. We mixed it. We mixed it like, you know, in half an hour. And I think in these days, it wasn't just 9-11 that disturbed me. It was the Ukraine. I thought everybody was like uh, in need of a kick up the ass and listen to something that was about. It's very disturbing that that song was relevant when I was 14 and it moved me. And here I am 
going into the last part of my life and it's still relevant. And uh, I hope as many people hear it as possible for the lyric, you know, just for the lyric. Like, check this out. This is how far we've come. We haven't come anywhere. You know, we just stayed in the dark. So uh, it's a very relevant song. When it comes to singing like that, in that case, I mean, I mean, so many people know you for for your work with the ballads. I mean, missing you when I see you smile and stuff like that. So when you do something like Masters of War, like how, you know, different slash difficult is it for you to sing like that? Just what I do. I mean, I have no idea. I mean, I speaking of Dylan songs, I did not dark yet on the acoustic record, which is a dangerous song. You know, if you can sing that, then um, it, the next round's on me. You know, it's like, <laughs> uh, but I think I, I, I think I got somewhere with it. You know, um, the odd thing about having hit singles is that to a degree, people think that's who you are, and every album needs a hit single, or it's going to disappear immediately. But as, as the moment I've got that single, I don't think about anything to do with the exterior the rest of the album is is completely free form to me i just i could play the ukulele you know it's, it's like part of the deal to try and ring a bell with people so they play it again and then they buy the album but you can do i mean tom petty made some tremendous singles and they're all quite dark but they're very very simple pop songs but that's a master it you know it should always be simple and understated and uh you know you're asking me to describe something that i don't know how i do so i'm sort of making it up as i go along um so i don't know no, it's it's always fascinating when somebody has had a career like yours i mean over and, and it's so many you know like with the babies and then with bad english and stuff like that to to think yeah. about the, the process and then like what have you learned from those early days that you can apply now to your career just wisdom just life i think i was as i went i got the job with the babies because nobody else could sing and then they found out i could write songs and i played bass I, I covered all bases really. But if you go back and listen to uh, the second album, not the first, um, that's pretty mature. I think I, when I sing, there's, I can't hear you. Well, I'm completely focused on it. I mean, it's like something that's revealing to me as it must be to somebody listening to it. Um, but I'm, I know what I'm doing. And the people I admired growing up from being like five or six, they were of the like mind, I think. There's a certain way of being in the music business where you can be truthful and authentic without just being commercial and you can deliver and bring it, you know? The, the other shit doesn't mean a thing to me. I mean, I've had massive success with, with some big singles, but it's the other stuff that people come to the concerts for, which is quite puzzling, but it's true. I mean, there's songs like Downtown, which is really about New York City, sunset, drugs, self-destruction, the third martini, the fucking works, you know, like a, 
a travelogue of my life in my mind as I'm walking downtown. That's a huge song for us on stage. Masterpiece of Loneliness. And, you know, a dark song about painting a picture. Uh, and then you hit him with When I See You Smile. This goes nuts. Or Missing You, you know. But it's the other songs on the album which are two-fisted, you know. Does the uh, environment you're in, the city you're in, things like that, does that really affect your yeah. songwriting? Yeah. New York is like, uh, New York City for me is like I'm a tube of toothpaste being squeezed. I, I really, I just write all the time there. I can't stop it. Everything I see just turns me into a songwriter. And um, then I go back to my normal life when I'm somewhere else, whatever. But uh, yeah, David Bowie said, if you want to make an album, move to a city where you don't speak the language. And I, I, I'm not even sure what he means, but I do know that it would be, you'd be thinking about connection and um, being understood. And if you can't speak the language, you're probably thinking more about it. Or it makes you solitary and you look inward. Does that then kind of uh, progress into the vocals and the environment progressing into the vocals when you're doing the songs, trying to match the environment as well? No, uh, it doesn't matter where I am. It really doesn't. I mean, it really doesn't. I, that, back to what I said before. When I'm singing, I'm in some sort of uh, different place. I just, I, I become the vocal. I don't know how I do it. I'm not sure if, I don't want to sound clever. I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, an artiste, but I, it's a language that I prefer to use than, than speaking. I feel I can be understood when I sing. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, when you are singing, you light of my life, <laughs> <laughs> you give me hope to carry on. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. I already like that version. That sounds yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't bootleg me. <laughs> but how do you know when a vocal is done, like to your ears? Oh, I know. I know, uh, I know when it's not done. Um, I've found over the years, and a lot of singers say this, the first take is the best. You go in and you don't know how to, uh, how far from the mic you need to be to get the sound you want. You don't know if you're in the right environment like with, the, with the baffles in the studio or whatever. You don't know any of that. And you just jump in. And there's something so real about it that it's instantly believable. And then, you know, if you're in an arena rock band, you'd probably sing it 50 times and try and get it to what you think is authentic. But it's bullshit. It's the first unvarnished foray into that lyric. And, and if you can get it in one take, that you've got something that's masterful. I mean, there was a song I did called Bluebird Cafe, which is, in fact, a story song from start to finish. I met, I met a waitress in Nashville and uh, she was young, beautiful and uh, from Iran. She was Persian. And uh, 
I tried to write her story after she served me fish and chips or whatever. And I went back to the studio and tried to write her story. Um, a couple of months later, I'm in the studio back in New York City. We're trying to finish the record. My voice is burnt out. The mic has to go back at one o'clock. We've rented this stupendous mic. Me and the engineer go like, what are we going to do? I, I, I can't, I, you know, it's going to be a mess. And then it was like, what am I talking about? You know, he's, what do I, what do I want him to say? Yes, it's a shame. You know, it's like, so fuck it, man. It's my left. It's my album. So I went back out with my voice in tatters, really. And I sang the whole thing from top to bottom in one take. Bluebird Cafe. With, with what I thought was my voice gone. And I got to the mic. And like I said, everything focuses into something else. And you're a conduit for something, for the story. And it's authentic. Because, and I went into it thinking if my voice breaks, it's going to be cool because it will just be me. And my voice doesn't break, you know, and it's completely one take. And it, you can tell. I don't know why. Bonnie Raitt apparently does that. She goes in at one end, and if she doesn't get it, she starts at the top again. But there's a, a continuance. There's a kind of like a progression in a vocal. And I listen to Bluebird these days, and I go like, wow, okay, you know, not bad. But I don't know how I do it, like I said before. I don't know. Uh, it's an energy and a focus and um, a extreme confidence. It's wisdom, you know, like you said before, it's I I kind of know what I'm doing, you know. That's it. It's really interesting to hear you talk about it because it, you know, this raw, pure approach that you take is so different than what is being done in so much of today's popular music where yeah. things are so heavily produced. So it's almost yeah. like, you know, auto-tune and other production techniques. And and yeah. so it's it's fascinating to hear kind of your take on it yeah but i think um the market that would buy that kind of uh performance isn't necessarily the hippest market you know it's like it's like giving a kid a sweet or an ice cream they want the ice cream you know and then there's the other person that you're you're hoping to sing to that is troubled or like in the same mode that you're in that wants to hear something that's authentic. And I don't know, I might be just full of shit right now saying that it should be authentic or what I do is right. I mean, music doesn't have different, it's just all, I mean, there's, there's probably brilliant music made that's auto-tuned and all that. It just doesn't bother me. I don't, I'm not interested. I can only really do what I do and it works for me. But, um, you know, obviously being much older now, uh, I'm getting the reputation of a guy that's got this voice he had when he was a kid, but I'm much better. But, but my image now is like the old guy that still can really belt it out. But that's okay with me. They said that about Joe Cocker. They said that about people that I really admire. And um, you don't get to where I am as a vocalist, if I can say this without smiling again, I'm not trying to, be bigger than I am. You don't get to where I am without all that life experience. Some of it was hard, you know, and none of it was easy. 
you're always reaching for this thing and you're the only guy in the room that knows what he's talking about and everybody will just settle and you go like no it, it should be like this and even the producer's going like well you know it's finished and you go like no it's not and it's been that's been my life till i just started producing my own records i like that analogy i like that idea of uh you know, if you ask a kid if he wants supper or dessert, they'll 99% of the time take dessert. But ask me if I want supper or dessert. And I'll say, give me a good supper. Instead. Yeah. Yeah. You know? There you go. There you go. Yeah. So I'm interested. Like you talked about being produced, you know, back in, you know, back before you started producing yourself. Now, are there things that you learn from those producers? I mean, and also you talked about like distance from the mic and all that stuff. Like I've, you know, I've read, just read a book by Phil Ramone about producing. So, you know, there's, there's so many great stories and it's so interesting what a producer can bring to, to a performance. Well, so, I never, I, I, the first uh, Babies album was produced by Bob Ezrin and it wasn't a success because I knew what I was going for and he had a different version. By the time we got to the second album with, with uh, Ron Levison, he had so much respect that if I said no, we didn't do it. And I suppose that's my personality. I come in, I really know what I'm doing. And I knew what I was doing with the babies. And I knew how to get the best out of them. And if you go into a studio with a producer that's saying, no, 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 we're doing it this way. And it's shit. Then I say, well, look, that's shit. And, and the conversation stops because he's trying to be a producer and I'm trying to be an artist and the two don't mix. And speaking of Phil Ramon, I bought his house. <laughs> yeah, I bought his house in Pound Ridge. I lived in his house for 12 years. But um, yeah, some people are wonderful. They, they, they help you. You know, you say you don't want it to be like with echo, I want it to sound like authentic and real and live. And I want it to have this. And, and I don't think anybody's really got it on with me and, and said like, no, we're doing it like this. Uh, the last bad English record was, was just dreadful. Again, with Ron Nevison, he, he, I don't know if he lost the plot or what, but uh, me and him almost came to blows and I, I walked out. Uh, and I finished the album with somebody else doing the vocals because I just would not be told how to sing. I mean, you know, if you're such a great singer, you fucking sing it. You know, if you think you can tell me what I was influenced by and why I wasn't when I was a kid and why I know this is the right note and because it maybe has the reference or information coming from Marty Robbins or Brenda Lee or Hank Williams or Big Bill Brunsey or whatever it is, you know, the blues, the blues is the key to everything. But the nobody outside yourself knows that. And if you can't edit yourself and know when something's great, you shouldn't even be there. And this isn't like blowing my own horn and saying, I can do this. It's just let me do what I do and help me to get from A to B to C. That's what a great producer is. You know, that really truly is. When somebody comes in and takes over, everybody loses and it's only happened to me once wow yeah have you because... always had that confidence have you always had that confidence in your own vocals yeah but, yeah really I have. well there's no other i can't do anything else i can't mimic other people i can't um i can't make you happy by singing it a certain way 
you're going to get what I'm doing. And it's from my heart and it's all I can do. And uh, it's up to me to judge the vocal. It's up to me to say, I can do that better. Not somebody else. It just isn't, it doesn't go like that. Yeah, no, it's so, it's so fascinating. Because <clears throat> again, I mean, I mean, I think we, we think of, and there's so many stories that we've received about, about people and producers, but just about, about the way they use their voice and, and of course, training as well and, and keeping their voice throughout the years. Like how have you managed to keep your voice and get better and stronger? Well, I, I, I smoke about five cigarettes a day. Perfect. Well, that's, that's, that's and I roam, I roam my own. I roam my own. <laughs> I always did. And I, I smoke organic tobacco. And apart from that, I don't warm up. Uh, I don't. And I'm sure in the coming couple of years, it's not going to be there. I'll, I'll go to the well and the well will be empty. And if I croak through a song, I'll be just as confident it's the right thing than I would be today when I'm hitting all the notes and it's powerful. I got, my voice got more powerful as I got older. So I'm as interested in what happens next as you are. <laughs> one day, one day it'll be. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, John Waiting will be like, yeah. Oh, you know, you light up my life. Oh, shit. You know, and um, the show will close early and I'll hit the bar. I don't, you know, it's going to happen. I just want to make sure that I always deliver right up to the time I decide to walk. It's interesting, actually. I mean, you, you see all the time they put people put online when somebody can't hit those notes anymore. They yeah. like to record the performances nowadays and put it up and then make fun of them. But uh, it really seems I mean, John Bon Jovi is, is now having people say that about him, you know, and his vocals. And it just seems so unfair because he's given. Well, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's I don't think it's fair to go out there. It's like if I go out now, this is how I see myself. If, if my voice isn't there, why would I want to charge somebody $50 for a ticket to come and see me lip sync or miss the notes? Now ask yourself that. Yeah, that's a good point. What's, un what's unfair about that? I mean, if you can't do it, it's like being a mechanic and you take a sports car into, into a, a, a shop, you know, to fix it. And, you know, I mean, if it if it if it doesn't work anymore, have the dignity to or don't be so mean that you have to show up and the audience sing the songs for you. Yeah, yeah, that's it's interesting. Well, and I, I don't know we're almost out of time with you, but yeah, because because I saw that on the new White Snake tour, David Coverdale uh, brought on Dino Jalusic to to sing some of those higher notes and stuff like that so that he could kind of like, they could kind of trade off a little bit just so that there would be, you know, the songs being sung a little closer. <laughs> well, I wouldn't do it <laughs> myself, myself, I wouldn't do it. But then again, I like acoustic music. So I suppose if it got to the point where I didn't want to compete with a thousand Watts of drums and guitars and bass, I would just return to the singer-songwriter thing and, and smoke. Uh, that's what we do half the time anyway, play theatres. And I tell stories and, I, and reference these songs that I was talking about before, like Bluebird Cafe and Downtown, Masterpiece and Loneliness. Missing You sounds great unplugged. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe that's the future for singers, you know. You don't have to be wearing leather pants and talking about fucking all night 
when you're <laughs> 75. I mean, people just don't believe you. And if you believe that, maybe it's time to pull over and uh, think about quitting. Yeah. Well, uh, there's no question that, you know, John Wade as a, as a, you know, just, just there with an acoustic guitar, you know, that's a big thumbs up from me. Well, but, check uh, out, check out Wooden Heart. It's, yep. it's like about 25 songs all unplugged. And it's, 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 you know, could be my favorite record, you know? Mm, so. No, I mean, yeah. And everything that I've listened to has been so wonderful, but, uh, but Thank John, you. we do want to give you the chance to tell everybody how they can keep up with you and oh. where they can find anything. Well, um, anything is in the stores in the US. I think we're in Canada too. We're in Target and the major retailers in America. So it should be happening in Canada. If that fails, uh, you can get a signed copy from johnwaitworldwide.com. You can get posters, T-shirts there, art. You can get uh, everything there. I'm on Facebook too. So um, look me up on Facebook. I mean, if you reach out, I reach back. <laughs> awesome. Wonderful. It's been it's been amazing to talk to you. Uh, such a like I say, wonderful singer and just wonderful. Well, listen, I, I don't want I don't want to come off as being conceited or like I know something that other singers don't know. There's tremendous singers out there that I admire, and it took me all my all my life to say, yeah, you know, I can stand next to those people. I was never conceited, but I but I am confident now, and it, maybe it's taken a lifetime of of being in the ring and fighting for your life to get where you want to go. But um, I hope in some ways I'm still humble about it because that once you get off the street, you can't get back. Mm. And as an artist, if you leave the street, you're no longer an artist. <laughs> and I, that's just about all I have to say. Oh, that's awesome. And thank you so much for your time. And I know we look forward to uh, chatting with you again sometime. But, uh, you know, keep singing, keep doing everything that you do. And you. Thank you. Yeah, you. Light of my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, especially you, baby. Morning, baby. You give me hope to carry on. <laughs> no one's ever sung that about me before. I oh, well, you know. <laughs> hey, checks in the mail. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, John. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Anything you want. It's the simplest of dreams, but it means a lot. So I'm down on my knees for the heart you've got. It's a shot in the dark. But I feel that spark And that's enough To make you believe me You're everything I want You're everything that I need And I'd do anything To get to you So anything you need That's a thing From the time that it takes to wake up, I find that you're in my life, in the back of my mind. From hello to goodbye, it was there in your eyes, right 
Everything I want, you're everything.